Hey everyone and welcome to our amazing podcast of the Future of Cooling program here at the Oxford Martin School at the University of Oxford. My name is uh, Patrick Farr, I'm a postdoctoral researcher with a background in health economics and I'm joined today by Dr. Jesus Lisana, our Marie Curie fellow who has a background in architecture and engineering. Hello everyone. Hey Jesus, nice to have you here. Um, in short, the future of cooling program at the Oxford Martin School is on the one hand looking at the impact of heat on health and on the other hand on the built environment. But why are we actually here today? Now, this podcast episode is the second in a series of a, a very exciting episodes. And as a side note, uh, I truly recommend also having a listen to the first episode which includes uh, our program director, Dr. Radhika Kosla. In today's episode, uh, specifically, we will present in detail the different challenges the cooling sector is facing and how the future of cooling team of researchers is addressing these challenges through their work. But Patrick, uh, we are not alone, right? No, not at all, Jesus. Um, as a matter of fact, we have a group of very exciting people with us namely all, all of the research associates uh, of the program. So please let us introduce to you Dr. Nicole Miranda, fellow in the engineering science department uh, who has a background in chemical engineering and energy systems. And we also have Dr. Giovanni Palafox Alcanta with us, a researcher in the School of Geography and the Environment, uh, who has expertise in civil engineering and the circular economy. Hi, Giovanni. Hello. Also, Dr. Juan Li, fellow in the Engineering Science Department, who has a background in control engineering and energy systems. And Dr. Antonella Mason, postdoctoral researcher with a background in humanities, working on cooling behaviors and cooling cultures. Welcome to all. Thanks. Thank you. Now, what's the future of cooling program about? Uh, Jesus, before we start chatting about all the heat and cooling challenges, we better mention a few key facts about the Future of Cooling program. So what do you think is important to mention? Well, Patrick, uh, apart from the cool colleges we had in the program, there are quite a few interesting facts that I can mention. For a start, we are the first and today only multidisciplinary program in the world focusing on cooling. Um, I think that this is a quite impressive fact. We focus on many aspects of engineering and cooling technologies, on architecture and the built environment, on geography, chemistry, the effect of heat on health and the economy. And as a group, uh, through top level research, the future of cooling program is working together to understand and shape the cooling sector with a long-term aim to support sustainable development. Well, Jesus, thanks a lot for this uh, interesting introduction, but, but can you tell our listeners why all of this is actually important? Um, what are the most important challenges we face in terms of cooling? I believe that an easy way to understand this challenge is to divide the impact of heat in terms of symptoms and problems. Let's start with the symptoms. We refer to symptoms as all the consequences related to extreme heat specifically the consequences that affect our society, the economy and the environment. For example, look at the societal impact of extreme heat in terms of increased risks to mortality or morbidity. 
or think about the potential impact of heat on city infrastructure. Here, an example, for example, is the impact of cooling in the power system due to the high energy consumption for cooling. And in the case of the economy, heat can generate productivity losses and can negatively affect economic, specific economic sectors, such as tourism, agriculture, or health services. From an environmental point of view, heat will increase the greenhouse gas emissions associated with cooling system and can also dramatically reduce the amenity of the environment. On the other hand, related to problems, we refer to, problem, to problems as the origin of the strain heat situations, where first we find the global warming increasing the frequency and intensity of heat events. Second and third, we find the city overheating and the building overheating, both due to an appropriate design of the built environment. And finally, the growing demand for cooling for energy for cooling can create comfort for to create comfort for people can exacerbate even more the contribution to climate change and strain heat thanks for this insight uh, jesus um, i can see that the challenges around cooling are quite extensive uh, affecting many areas and disciplines totally patrick um you know i think that one way to understand better what we are doing in terms of addressing these challenges is to actually have a chat with the researcher in the future of cooling program. Indeed, indeed, Jesus. Uh, let's start with this straight away, shall we? Um, Nicole, how about we start with you? Hey, Nicole. Hi, thanks for having me. Very nice to have you with us. Okay, let's start with the first question. What's your work actually about? So um, I'm working in the engineering department in the University of Oxford, and I have three areas of interest. Uh, the first is passive cooling system. So what is their potential? How can we upscale them? And uh, this is quite important because it can help reduce the demand for active systems, so air conditioners. And uh, it, it helps avoiding them altogether in some places, but also when, it's, when passive systems are coupled with ACs, they can also reduce their energy consumption. My second topic of interest is understanding the effect of F gases on global warming. So F gases are fluorinated gases, which are used as refrigerants, uh, specifically HFCs, in active technology. And when these are leaked into the atmosphere, they cause enormous uh, warming. Well, that's what I'm actually looking into. What is that warming that they're causing? Because they have reported very high global warming potentials, but I'm looking into the tools to assess that in a better way, the tools and metrics to see what their actual contributions are. Finally, my third topic is on the future cooling demand. So we're working with some uh, collaborators in geography here at the university that have very uh, detailed models of climate and that will allow us to assess how the world will evolve in terms of their cooling needs. And what are the most interesting findings from your work so far? So I think uh, one underpinning topic is the search for metrics. So let's see in the um, talking about passive cooling, there isn't metrics that allows us to compare the performance of one passive cooling, for example, shading to ventilation. It's really hard to, to find metrics because they are bespoke, they're made 
according to a building and not necessarily as technology that you just buy off the shelf like uh, air conditioners. Air conditioners have the, the COP number, the coefficient of performance. So in a way you can start understanding how efficient they are how and, and see which one is better than the other. But that's that kind of metric is missing in the world of passive cooling and it's something that is very difficult to, to um, conceptualize. Um, another um, example of the lack of metrics is within the world of F gases. So when I'm looking at their impact in global warming, um, the, the common metric that we use today is the GWP, global warming potential, which standardizes the emissions based on carbon dioxide. However, refrigerants have a much shorter life in the atmosphere than carbon dioxide, but a much more higher impact of global warming, radiative forcing. So we need to look at metrics that actually capture those, that nature of refrigerants. Um, and, and so that's, that's some findings so far. Thanks, uh, Nicole. This is very interesting, but tell me a bit more about how your work actually contributes to shaping the future of cooling. So I think um, by looking from a technological perspective, a first um, contribution is uh, awareness of technological alternatives and uh, looking at passive systems um, usually think, oh, they're low tech, they're just uh, shading or opening the window. But actually, there's pretty high tech out there, like radiated panels or painting or um, in smart systems that allow for passive cooling to actually take place in a smart way. So creating awareness is, a, is an important uh, part of it. But um, then a step up from there is informing policy. And so if we uh, inform our politicians, our representatives, that this is a pressing matter, that this uh, demand for cooling is actually on the rise, and we give them the figures and we give them the information that they need to make smart, smart decisions for our future, then uh, we actually might have a shot at curbing the global warming and um, while keeping people comfortable, uh, thermal comfort. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks for being with us today, Nico. Thanks. Hey, Antonella. It's very nice to have you here today with us. And I will start straight away with the first question. So what's your uh, topic about? Um, I research cooling behaviors and cooling cultures, especially those uh, behavioral strategies. Uh, they are very low carbon. And so like for example, how people keep their body cools without the use of uh, air conditioning or even fans. So I investigate uh, the role of culture, the role of knowledge, uh, specifically also indigenous knowledge and vernacular one, and intergenerational knowledge. So that type of uh, tips that grandmothers will eventually pass on in the next generation and see effectively how uh, they can help the body to cool. So this span from uh, clothing, but also food and other behavioral strategies and hydro practice to keep the body cool with very low energy involved. And why is that important? 
Well, I think that, uh, you know, we live in a society where access to electricity and also AC is growing. But at the same time, there is a ramping climate change. And so we need to tackle energy consumption at the maximum because energy is obviously the main culprit of climate change. And therefore, with our behavioral strategies and going back into understanding how previous generations and our ancient cultures used to keep cool before uh, would be of great impact, um, especially in energy consumption, household energy consumption. And could you give us a taste of the most interesting findings from your research up to date? Um, yes, uh, basically during my just gathering the, the latest data from Brazil, where I conducted a virtual ethnography. And I see that people tend to uh, drink specific uh, herbal teas um, that they found very effective uh, in keeping their body uh, cool. Um, and also they, they used to wear some wet cloth when they go out. Um, they used to go out with wet hair as well, so that uh, the heat of the street will not have an impact on heat stress, etc. Obviously, these are specific to each context, and maybe they cannot be translated to every culture in the world. But I think that with a little bit of, uh, you know, understanding of each other's culture, maybe there is something that we can learn and reproduce in each specific context. So. I know that uh, in Europe, for example, such practices might be seen as um, they, they might not welcome this practice, but I'm sure that with some tweaks, uh, there is something that we can learn and apply. And the last question I have for you is, uh, how does your work contribute to shaping the future of cooling? Well, I think that you cannot go forward without looking at the past. Um, so I think that discovering some sort of archaeology of knowledge of this cooling practices, especially in very hot countries, uh, can give us the light towards um, and shaping the future of cooling uh, in a non-technological way, especially if we triangulate some findings with some medical advice, etc. We might find that a specific food can help us to thermoregulate better. Therefore, I'm shaping the future of cooling if I discover that. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the podcast and all the best. And we look forward to seeing more of your research. Thank you for having me. Thank See you. Bye-bye. You. Bye-bye, Antonella. Um, Jesus, uh, should we move on and ask Giovanni a few questions? Yes, uh, let's, let's go with Giovanni now. Giovanni, uh, what is your work topic about? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be in this podcast. Um, okay, so I am working on the global production networks of cooling, uh, basically trying to understand and identify the intensities and geographies of cooling appliances uh, or the manufacturing around the world. So in other words, it means that I'm trying to find sustainable intervention points in the supply chain and the whole life cycle of cooling equipment. But I'm also looking at uh, innovative business models that align with circular economy principles for the delivery of cooling, such as cooling as a service. And finally, um, there is an overlap with uh, Nicole's work in engineering around the F gases used as refrigerants. So 
I'm very interested in also capturing them properly before they damage the environment further. Well, I think that the contribution of the cooling as a service and the F-gases to, to mitigate the impact of cooling is really amazing. Um, Giovanni, how can you describe why is that important? Yes, sure, I can give a couple of points here. Uh, first of all, I'll start with, given the accelerating increase in demand for cooling equipment, there will be massive challenges in terms of resource security. So, for example, the manufacturing, the energy use, and the appropriate waste management at the end of life of the appliances. That means whether they are recycled, remanufactured, or another alternative is very important. That also aligns with the F gases that, as I just mentioned, they need to be collected uh, to avoid the release in the atmosphere. Um, and the second point, and I would like to give a couple of figures here, is that globally there is a total of 11 megatons of waste from electrical equipment being generated uh, in every year. And only around 70% of that, obviously that varies across uh, countries and type of equipment, only that 70% is being documented and collected properly. Uh, this represents a massive challenge and opportunity to close the loops to advance a circular economy for cooling. And on another point, I would say that the sabotization of cooling uh, saves, first of all, saves energy uh, up from costs and material utilization. So, for example, as it incentivizes the service providers to improve efficiency and technology innovation so to become a sustainable cooling option. Wow, it seems that there is a huge amount of work to do in order to mitigate the the impact of cooling with this circular e economy. Um, Giovanni, what are the most interesting findings or in insight from your work so far? Yeah, that, of course, uh, I'll give a, a couple of examples. So I would like to start with co policies across the managing of cooling waste. For example, the recovery of refrigerants or the disposal of appliances. These are very still in development. Uh, so for example, they need to work in complementation and in synergy. The first example is the ban of certain F gases in the EU legislation in 2016. It was a great step, but however, this created the conditions for an illegal market to emerge because we have so many existing units that actually need to keep running and they need those refrigerant gases that have been banned. Uh, and second, uh, there are lots of illegal activities related to cooling that are not sufficiently documented. One of them is the illegal trade of HFCs, as I just mentioned. Another one is an illegal dumping and trade of less efficient and high global warming potential appliances. So especially the countries from the global north are selling this cheap and very obsolete technologies to the global south. And also there is a massive illegal disposal of cooling waste. So that means when they're basically abandoned, fly tipping, and landfill. Well, I think that uh, it's, it's, it's very powerful to know about these illegal activities in the cooling sector and how we can mitigate this impact. And, uh, and Giovanni, how, how does your work contribute to the shaping of the future of cooling? How do you think that you are contributing for, for this pur purpose? Sure, uh, I'll give just three very quick um, examples. And 
One of them is by helping to move to sustainable manufacturing, we can contribute to net zero and properly handling, handling these appliances at the end of their life so that we can situate them within a circular economy. Second, uh, with cooling as a service, we can help end users or consumers uh, have access to cooling, especially the most vulnerable ones. Uh, we have a case example of, of farmers in Nigeria benefiting from this. And thirdly, uh, by controlling the air gases, uh, as Nicole just mentioned, we can also help to slow down global warming. Wow, thank you. Thank you very much, Giovanni, for your feedback with this, uh, this question. It's no very, it's my pleasure. It's very useful to understand, I think, to transmit what, what, what you all are, are doing. Shall we go next, Jesus? Yes, please. Shall we invite Kwa? Kwa, hey, nice to have you with us today. Yeah. Hi, Patrick. Nice to meet you. Hey, and nice. Thanks for having me today. Of course. All pleasure. Um, shall we start? What's your topic about? Uh, yes, uh, first of all, um, I'm working at the Department of Engineering Science at University of Oxford. And uh, my work focuses on developing tools to provide and map diverse inquiries about cooling technologies. Um, in particular, my research involves passive and active cooling technologies to address heat caused in buildings and cities. So, <laughs> your focus is on buildings and cities, but why is that important? Yeah, you know, Patrick, uh, our planet is warming, population, urbanization and economy are rising, so cooling demand is increasing. There are many cooling options available in research and markets to serve cooling needs efficiently and environmental friendly. However, whether, whether greatest technical innovations could be made for interventions not well understood when we condition uh, we consider climate condition economic and geographical factors and what are the most interesting findings insights from from your work so far i mean you have only recently joined ah uh, yes program, but so yeah you have only recently joined us but maybe you can give us a taste of some initial findings from your work ah uh, yes uh, actually, um, I see there are two very interesting findings uh, so far for CNI style work here. The first is to cool the whole city at a big picture. Advanced technology should be applied with vertical approach, meaning that reducing heat at urban scale should be considered first using technologies such as solar prevention and heat uh, protection, and then reducing cooling in buildings by using passive technologies followed by serving cooling needs by efficient technologies or equipment. And the second interesting findings uh, would be that cooling technologies with high maturities, such as absorption, absorption or evaporative coolings, showing potential to replace vapor compression AC using high global warming potential refrigerants, such as HEPC refrigerants. That's it, Jeff Patrick. And and let's look into the future for a second. How do you think your work will contribute to shaping the future of cooling? Yes, um, as the energy needed for air conditioning is likely to triple by 2050, raising demand for space cooling is already putting enormous strain on electricity system in many countries and driving up emissions. 
you see that so therefore mapping and understanding technologies which can beat the heat in buildings and city efficiently and environmental friendly are of paramount important to shape the future of cooling thank you very much for these insights Kwa. Um, we will look we look very much forward to seeing more of this work coming out in in, in the near future and what about you jesus well, what can you tell us about your work yes of course i mean um in my case i have a strong motivation about how to mitigate the impact of heat in cities and buildings you know my background is architecture um, building engineering and i come from a very hot region in the south of spain it's from from seville where I have suffered most of my life the consequences of, his, uh, of extreme heat. In this case, my work is focusing on how to help cities to identify urban hotspots or overheated urban areas, where city council should prioritize retrofitting action to mitigate the impact of heat. And why is that important? This is very important in order to mitigate a problem known as urban heat islands. This concept is associated with the urban areas that are significantly warmer than their surrounding rural areas. In these areas, the urban temperature can be up to 4 degrees higher, for example, in the city of London, or even up to 6 degrees higher in comparison with the surrounding rural areas. Uh, this last situation was, for example, last summer in the city of, of, of Seville, where I come from. And have you done any work on those two cities where you could share maybe some findings with us or any other findings interesting coming out from your research so far? Yes, I think even the, the most interesting contribution that we are doing right now, we are testing this contribution in these two cities. Uh, we are developing a development a tool to monitor and map, and map the urban climate at a high spatial temporal resolution. And we are testing this mapping tool in these two cities. The target here is to identify urban heat vulnerabilities, something very challenging side. It's very difficult to get urban climate data. Most weather data that we use to visualize weather every day comes uh, from meteorological weather stations located in rural or suburban areas, whose data are not representative of the urban climate and its problems. So in this case, uh, we are trying to develop this tool, testing the tool in this real environment to try to measure the accuracy and how we can mitigate this, this urban overheating problem. And how is that tool contributing to shaping the future of cooling? Hopefully, our target is to develop this tool in order to, to help to whatever city around the world to identify these urban hot spots where cities or the city council should prioritize all the retrofitting actions to improve the quality of life, well-being, and health of citizens. Wow, that, that would be very, very helpful in terms of mitigating the impact of heat in the built environment. We hope so, Patri. But what about your work, Patri? We all were showing our contribution to the future of cooling, but we didn't hear about your work on cooling. Uh, what is your topic about, Patrick? Well, in a nutshell, um, I and my colleagues, we are estimating the health effects and uh, healthcare system burden of cold waves and heat waves in England. Um, and we will use patient data from primary and secondary care to look at 
the impact of changes in ambient temperature on the full healthcare chain, including GP visits, uh, secondary care referrals, hospitalization, and also we, we also look at mortality data. And here the analysis will also include a costing perspective where we look at the estimated direct healthcare costs to the NHS in England uh, correlated to changes in temperatures. And why is that important, Patrick? Well, first of all, heat uh, uh, and associated heat stress can increase mortality and morbidity. The second point is uh, it is a well-established fact that heat stress negatively impacts uh, physical work capacity. So this in turn has consequences on productivity, um, plus additionally can add to the risk of occupational health problems. And these two issues, negative health and productivity losses, will affect half of the global population, uh, including 1 billion workers. Wow, that is true. Even today in Oxford, we had a very warm day. Uh, even I, I can feel that even here. Um, what are the most interesting findings from your work, Patrick? Well, first, with regard to feeling very less productive today because of the heat, that might also be a consequence of us all having a really nice lunch today at the pub. But uh, <laughs> giving you an actual answer to your question, um, Given an increase in temperatures over the upcoming years uh, without investment in sustainable cooling technologies, issues around heat-related mobility and mortality will likely exacerbate. And how does that contribute to shaping the future of cooling? Well, so the work contributes to shaping the future of cooling in an indirect sense of the starting point here would be to develop sustainable cooling technologies for which you guys are more responsible, uh, maybe at the household or city level. And the next step would be that we need to make sure that individuals most at risk of negative health effects from heat have access to these technologies. And then to persuade uh, policymakers about, for example, the provision of such technologies to vul vulnerable population groups. Uh, and I believe one can then consider such technologies as some sort of health technology uh, subject to health technology assessment. And if it, it turns out that such technology is cost effective, is a cost effective health intervention, it should be provided uh, by the government to, to prevent uh, increased excess morbidity and mortality as a consequence of heat. Wow, yeah. so powerful your work, Patrick. Thank you very much for these insights, Patrick. With this, we have reached the end of our session by looking forward to discussing other issues related to cooling. And please remember to subscribe